How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in. In this episode, I'm going to talk about managing emotions in difficult discussions, but I do want to start by saying this is a continuation of the last episode on communication skills for difficult discussions, where I outlined some very clear steps for effective communication. I'm going to talk about how emotions play into those, and so if you haven't listened to that episode, it might be helpful to listen to it before this one. When we're communicating about difficult difficult topics, emotions tend to run high. We can be very, um, very frustrated and very annoyed at the actual instances that are happening, like our children for the 7,000th time not doing the chore that we've shown them how to do every single time. Or we can be really frustrated and high emotion because of external things that are happening. Maybe something frustrates me more than it would because I have a lot of other stuff going on right now that I'm trying to manage. Maybe, you know, something uh, financial has come up and I'm trying to figure that out. And that's leaking over into my communications and directions to my children or my conversations with my spouse. All of that can play into difficulty in communication and can block our ability to really facilitate the type of discussions and communications to see changes happen. I want to go into the emotional piece of that as to why that's the case and help support some of the suggestions I gave in the previous podcast about the steps to take and the skills to use. I'm going to back up quite a bit. I'm going to do a brief crash course on our nervous system. We have two parts of our nervous system. Our central nervous system is our brain and our spine. Now, if you just yawned when I said this, the next few might feel, things that I say might feel a little bit nerdy, but that's what you're getting when you get me. So hang with me here because it's going to be really important to understand this for how to manage this. So back to the brain. Your brain and your spinal cord are your nervous system, your central nervous system, and your peripheral nervous system are the nerves that move out from your spine and into the rest of your body that sends messages about what's happening. That's your system that sends the messages back and forth from your body to your brain to help understand what's going on. Now, in our our nervous system, we have a process by which we handle threat. Um, You've probably heard of it before. It's called our fight or flight response. That is part of our autonomic nervous system and the way that our nervous system functions to keep us safe. Basically, part of our nervous system inside of that space is called our sympathetic nervous system. And that activates our body for action when we feel threatened. Our parasympathetic nervous system calms our body down when the threat has passed. So, For example, if you're in a car and you hear a car backfire somewhere near you and you jump and you feel the hair stand up on the back of your neck and your heart starts beating fast and your breathing gets shallow and you can tell that you're fully activated, that's your sympathetic nervous system heightening your body's responses, waking your body up and making it hyper alert so that you can jump into action or run away, fight or flight as needed. 
when the person beside you says, calm down, it was just a car backfire, you're fine. And you start to feel your breathing begin to level out and your muscles loosen up just a little bit. Your body relaxes a little. Your parasympathetic nervous system is sending messages to calm your body down. This is a wonderful system that we've been given to use. And really, we don't even plan for it. It happens in us to keep us safe, to help us respond and be alert without having to plan for it. It is the thing that makes us brave in really hard times sometimes. It's also the thing that makes us cower and shy away or run away when we feel like something uh, could damage us or threaten our lives. The same system that we have there for physical threats activates oftentimes with emotional or verbal threats too. And so one of the things that we have at play is this nervous system response that can go into overload and, and into kind of hyperdrive when emotions are high and when another person is very upset or frustrated and it feels like they are kind of coming at us with communication. We can tend to go into a communication style fight or flight. So if someone starts communication with us or if we start communication that feels a little more aggressive with another person, they may respond in a way that is that feels like a response to a threat rather than a response to communication. When our nervous system is triggered, we can't think with the smartest part of our brain. Our frontal lobe is what keeps us um, focused on our goals, helps us to think about cause and effect. And it's, and it's really the person, it's the main part of our brain where our personality is held and, and the way that we, we handle things. But our nervous system responses happen in a more primitive part of our brain. It's more reactionary. We don't think or plan it. That's why if a parent um, sees someone or something, an animal, a larger person threatening their child, their brain's not going to think through all of the reasons why it's probably not safe for them to challenge that person or animal that's threatening their child. They just go into hyperdrive to protect. So that, that need to protect or be safe takes precedence over the logical and rational side of us. Otherwise, we might not move as fast. We might not protect our, our young, our children. When we respond like that in communication, though, and everything is about protection, and we don't stay in the part of our brain that is functioning to create to reach our goals in our communication in our homes with our children, then communication becomes something else that is not what we're wanting to use it for. So just knowing that about ourselves and realizing when I get keyed up or when I get triggered or when something uh, comes at me and that's where I am, that's really not a good space to do communication. We'll talk later about how to effectively take timeouts if you do end up activated. In this particular podcast episode, though, I'm going to talk about how to um, how to plan for that and how to start communication well in it and then how to use emotions and emotional language to help bring clarity uh, to some of the issues. So going back again to the three steps of really good communication and difficult discussions, you're setting the tone, you're clarifying the issue and, and or making a request and you're offering a solution. So when you're managing your emotions and how to start you really have to be careful not to trigger the other person or not to start communication with yourself already triggered and, and emotional. If you're in that place, 
it's guaranteed that the communication and that the emotions in there are going to take precedence in the communication. And what's going to happen is that becomes the message. The method that you're using becomes the message rather than the message itself. So it's a feedback cycle that I've seen so many times in in family situations as they come into counseling to see that, you know, I have preteens or teens or even small children and I tell them what to do and they don't do it and I get really frustrated and then I end up yelling at them or I end up um, just feeling like I'm going to lose my mind (laughs) because it's not happening. And we dig into the communication style and how is it being said? How is it being addressed? Well, I, you know, I holler from the other room for them to do it again. Or I, you know, bring them in and, and I might get frustrated and, and yell or, um, you know, or, or a wide variety of, of responses. And when you go into that and start to, to dig in, especially when we're talking to our kids and we're wanting things to stick with our kids, when we put them into fight or flight mode, with our the way that we're communicating to them we pretty much shut down the part of their brains that can latch on to the message and their message inside of their brain becomes i need to stay safe and so they may shut down and get very quiet or they may go into fight mode and start arguing back and and being you know more belligerent back now this is not to say that we as parents have full control over our children Because heaven knows the only people who tend to think that are people who don't have children yet. Um, And not all of them think that. But um, I know I used to think that parents should have a lot more control over their kids before I had kids. And realize they're already whole, full people who have their own ways of thinking about the world. It was a big wake-up call for most of us, right? So when I am engaging and interacting with my kid to send this message, and I am putting them on alert... And they're struggling to hang in because their whole point becomes, how do I get out of this? Or how do I hold my ground here? We lose the message completely. And suddenly, every bit of interaction that we're having is pointless at best and damaging at worst. Over time, that type of response consistently can actually create a feedback loop in kids that the rules really aren't the point. It's really just not to activate mom or dad. And that can get a little bit uh, sketchy in terms of the concreteness of um, even moral development and understanding what's right and wrong, that it becomes more about walk on eggshells and, and don't activate the system. And I'll say, too, that like I said in the family norms um, episodes about apologizing and asking forgiveness and coming back, knowing this stuff does not ever mean that we're going to do it all right. Um, And I'll tell you, as a counselor and an an educator of counselors, the number of times that people have said to me, oh my gosh, you must feel so good as a parent because you know all of these things. And I laugh because the truth is, is I just know very clearly, not only every time that I'm screwing up, but exactly how many different ways I could be screwing them up. Um, And and that is not overly helpful. (laughs) In fact, it can be really frustrating at times. So we're still going to live in this space of managing emotions. And that's why I called this episode that, that we are managing emotions. You're not pushing them away and you're not figuring out how to do this perfectly. That's not possible. But we're aware of them and we're managing them and looking at what's going on in our families and coming back to create the best places for communication. So we are, so we become aware of how 
emotions and our nervous system responses can even make it difficult when setting the tone for conversation. But the other part of it is that when we're communicating with others about what we need or what is not going on, um, sometimes clear communication and just saying, hey, I realize that you're not just trying to ignore what I've said, but this is a bigger deal to me than I think you realize, and I really want you to change the way that you're doing this. Sometimes the person that we're talking to, our spouse, our kid, our family members, coworkers, whomever, might latch onto that and it's just fine. Other times they may not realize or they may not get it. So the best way to do that and to handle it if you feel like the person's not getting the message is to bring emotions into the piece, to tap in and figure out what we're feeling, how it's making us uh, feel and why that's affecting our response, and to communicate and share that, that to the other person. In the Family Norms episode, I did an episode on feeling vocabulary and feeling words and fostering a sense of that um, and shared a link on our social media page of a great feeling wheel to help develop that language. You've got to be able to tap in and identify clearly what it is. An example is this. If I say to, you know, my, my spouse, hey, you know, that, w- that wasn't funny when you said that about me. And I'm half joking and half not, and he kind of is half joking and half not, I may not be being very clear about what's happening. And if it were to happen again, and that's how I've explained it the first time, I may want to take a step back and say, okay, it's easy to just say he doesn't care. But what about how I've communicated it? Have I communicated it as clearly as I should have? And so going back and trying again and saying, listen, I know that you, this is not your intention or your heart. I don't believe it's your intention or heart, but we talked about this and how you were making fun of this. And, and I, and I asked you not to do it and you've done it again. And I need you to know that I wasn't just joking that when you say those things, it really makes me feel disrespected. So I really want you to not say it anymore. Um, when we can connect a word like disrespect or hurt or, frustration or nervousness or unsafe, any of these feeling words that we can feel based on the actions of someone else, it helps bridge the gap between me and the other person so they can take responsibility for their actions too. If he does it again after that, then he's doing it knowing, knowing that he's creating a space of, of distrust or disrespect. And that's a different type of conversation. That's a different level of issue. But so often I see well-meaning spouses and families who really want to do the best that they can, and they're they're just missing it because they don't understand the emotional level that it's hitting. Another thing to understand about emotions is that there are really two levels of emotions. There are primary emotions and secondary emotions. Secondary emotions are anger and anger-related emotions. They tend to be... um, more of the heightened, frustrated, angsty, you know, angry type emotions. And primary emotions are really all of the other ones. Now, while anger can be a deep emotion, and I'm not saying that it's not valuable and useful, anger oftentimes tends to be an emotion of movement. And so frequently we will transition our primary feelings of hurt or frustration or disappointment, disrespect 
into anger because it's a little bit easier to move with that. Anger tends to kind of connect even to our our triggering responses in fight or flight, and we may be more able to work out of anger. So if I say, don't do that, that makes me angry. That is an emotion, it's emotion speech, but it doesn't help the other person take responsibility for it. It's interesting, in all the years that I was counseling um, couples, one of the things that was very clear is that we don't really, as as um, friends, family members, parents, spouses, whatever, we don't really take responsibility for other people's feelings of anger. So if someone says, don't do that, it makes me angry, we tend to say, get over it. And I'm like, oh, sorry, you know, sorry about it, but that's, sorry you don't like it. If I say, hey, don't do that, that makes me feel really disrespected. There's a tone change when when the two people involved want a level of respect and want to show respect to the other people, we listen and we take note because if my goal is to respect this other person and they're telling me that they feel disrespected, I take responsibility for that differently than what I do when they just say they're angry. Well, that translates into a parenting role too. If all we ever communicate to our kids is that what they're doing makes us angry or mad, don't do that, that makes me mad or all we're showing them is angry type emotions, it's the only one that they see and connect to. And really, they don't connect to it either, just like none of the rest of adults do. But if you can start using primary emotion language and sharing that with your kids too, it helps them to connect differently to the conversations that it may feel like you keep having and keep having. In the next episode, we're going to understand and look at listening as an active skill and how listening and skills in listening really connect to these topics of how you speak and help balance out the communication system in terms of, um, of completing the process and of connecting on the other side, especially if you're the one hearing the communication. So I hope you tune in for that one. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit theremodelproject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.